0: This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 406.
1: We get so hung up on maximizing our time and like optimizing and, and it's it just sucks out the joy
0: if you or someone you know struggles at all from anxiety or workaholism then today's podcast episode is definitely for you hi i'm jeff brown and this is the read to lead podcast the podcast that is dedicated to your personal and professional growth of the thousands of nonfiction books released each year i personally select 52 of them Interview the authors and present those conversations to you here each and every week. Because I believe that if you want to achieve true success in business and in life, then intentional and consistent reading is a must. That doesn't mean you need to read 52 books a year, but I think a great place to start would be a book a month, and you can select those books from the 52 I present. Today, we're going to sit down with author Charlie Hone. He's written several books including a book that we're going to spend most of our time in called play it away a workaholic's cure for anxiety i'll be asking charlie about his method for securing jobs working with some of his biggest heroes why he went from happy-go-lucky guy to anxiety-ridden workaholic and how you can avoid doing the same his cure for anxiety that may just work for you too and plenty more well, with 2022 well underway, I'm excited to share that uh, my speaking and training calendar is beginning to fill up. I'd love to come talk to your company, to your team about how to instill good reading habits, how to make the most of what you're reading, how to put what you're reading into action, and personal and professional development more generally. If that makes sense for you, I hope you'll reach out to me, Jeff, at readtoleadpodcast.com. In fact, I just had a representative at UPS do that very thing just this past week. I may just be coming to a UPS event near you very, very soon. Again, the way to reach me, the easiest way, Jeff, at read to begin the conversation. Charlie Hone is the author of four books, including Play for a Living and Play It Away. He works with companies on improving employee well-being, retention, and satisfaction through play. And he's advised many of the world's top experts. That's not hyperbole. I'm talking about people like Tim Ferriss, Tucker Max, and others. He even worked with Ferriss on the launch of The 4-Hour Body, which became a number one New York Times bestseller, hit number one on Amazon's overall bestseller list, and sold millions of copies in the process. He's been featured on NPR's TED Radio Hour, Harvard Business Review, Fast Company, and more, and has spoken at the Pentagon, Stanford, and Microsoft, among other places, Currently, he is the head of Multimedia for Scribe, company co-founded by Tucker Max. Well, Charlie, I am excited for our conversation. Looking forward to this. I really enjoyed getting to know your work uh, better. I've watched a lot of videos. I've read a lot of blog posts. I've read a book or two. Uh, Welcome officially to the Read to Lead podcast. It's great to have you here. Thank you, Jeff. I'm stoked to be here. One of my favorite authors uh, and someone whose work I'm quite fond of is a guy named Tim Ferriss. And I know you've worked closely with him. So let's go back. I think it's about a dozen years or so and, and, and maybe share some of the story of how you ended up working with him, first of all, and, and helping launch that that New York Times bestseller. Yeah. Yeah. I'd
1: love to. So I was a fan of Tim's. I read the first edition of the 4-Hour Work Week when I was in New Zealand and studying abroad and thought, man, this guy's just uh, incredible. And <laughs> at the time, it was really interesting because the cultural zeitgeist was fight club, office space, American beauty, and they all had protagonists being like, I hate my corporate job. This is miserable. And I'm going to not just quit, but like bring the system down with me so I can go enjoy my life. And so lifestyle design resonated with me and obviously millions of other people. And I graduated a few months later and the great recession officially mm. began my prospects that i had lined up dissolved you know the company i interned with uh, went out of business and I spent a few months doing the traditional job application process. And I think I applied to, I, I was like, I've applied to over a hundred jobs and there was no one click application back then. So it wasn't <laughs> quite as efficient as it is now. And I've applied to a hundred jobs. I've heard back from two mm. and one was a pyramid scheme. And the other one was a physical labor company, which I don't have any issue with. But I was like, what is college for that? So (laughs) I remember talking with my dad and saying, I'm going to try and do my own thing. Mm. And if it doesn't work, I'll take a landman job, which is in the oil and gas industry. You can make... Back then you could make 70k starting. So it was like a good paying job, but I was mm. I was afraid of that outcome. Mm. I did not want that. And so I started doing free work for entrepreneurs I admired. I, I started reaching out to people like Ramit Sethi, Tucker mm. Max, and I started offering to help them with stuff that I saw. Were opportunities for them. Mm. And the ultimate goal was actually to work for Tim. Like that was my focus, but I knew that going directly to him was going to be very difficult. So I started by how can I earn the trust and respect of people around him who I also want to work with? So it'll be a win, even if they don't recommend me to him. And I think three people, after a few months of working with them, Recommended me to him, and only one I had asked, hmm. and so he called me out of the blue one day. I was not expecting the call, <laughs> and so I answered on. I had a terrible cell phone at the time. I answered. It was like, "Hey, is this Charlie?" And I'm, yes, "Hey, this is Tim Ferriss." And you know, my I'm like, what <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I, I have terrible service and reception, and so we're talking. And he basically offers me the first task and I'm like all on board, but I can't really hear what he's saying. It's coming in choppy. Right. So, but I'm just so like excited that I'm just like, I got it, Tim. I'm on it. And uh, you know, he offers he offers to pay me, you know, an hourly rate and I totally botch this first task because I couldn't hear what he was mm. saying so the following conversation he was like what is this <laughs> oh, and so no anyway we got it cleared up I hustled got it fixed and then it was just slow but steady increase in responsibilities and tasks and as I proved I was more and more capable he flew me out to San Francisco to hang out with them for a weekend and mm. He told me that he was working on his next book, The Four Hour Body. And might I be interested in helping him out with putting it together? Now, to be clear, I'm not writing it, but editing it and mm-hmm. and helping him kind of piece together data that, right. that needs to be sorted through and finding certain types of research to back things up. And I remember one particular task was there was a ultra endurance athlete who was vegan, which is pretty rare. Uh, (laughs) I think his name was Scott Jurek. And Tim gave me his weekly grocery list to buy at Whole Foods. he was like, I just want you to see how long this takes and how much effort. It took me like three hours to buy all this stuff because vegans eat a lot of food, uh, especially (laughs) ultra endurance athletes. So um, in any case, that that was how I got involved with the four-hour body and Mm -hmm. the book ended up doing exceptionally well. Now you became then his like first full-time employee at that point. Yeah, we joked that my unofficial title was either director of other or director of special projects because <laughs> you know I, I did a bunch of different things but yeah, it was literally a dream and it was amazing once in a lifetime mm-hmm. opportunity.
0: Now, at, at some point during your time there, not that that Tim or working directly with him was in any way responsible for this, but but at some point during your time there, you go from, as I read in your book, played away this kind of happy-go-lucky guy to being basically this anxiety-ridden workaholic to the point that you approached him and said, "Hey, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta quit. I gotta stop. I gotta go to the next thing, or I gotta figure out what the next thing is." Can you maybe describe some of the circumstances surrounding that realization, how you came to that to that conclusion?
1: Yeah. So I was living in San Francisco. You know, I grew up in Colorado. And so I'm I will say I do believe people become a product of their environment. And mm-hmm. at the time in San Francisco, it was very much Hustle culture, startup, like, you know, Instagram had just been purchased for a billion dollars by Facebook, and that was a crazy thing. And so it was kind of a cultural norm out there to hustle really hard, work really hard. I, as my responsibilities increased, became More and more concerned, especially with this one event that we did with making sure nothing slipped through the cracks, and that Mm -hmm. I was always like doing the best job I could because that role, that was my dream job. And Mm -hmm. so I got in a place where all of a sudden, I was looking around and I was like, wow, I just had dinner with the co-founder of YouTube. I just Mm -hmm. had a private dinner with me, Tim, and Travis Kalanick, the guy who created Uber. And he literally showed us the prototype of Uber. Like (laughs) These people changing the world. And I did not want that to go away, you know. I wanted to hold on to that role, and so we did this event called "Opening the Kimono," and uh, it was Tim's book marketing and publishing event where he taught people everything that he knew. Basically, he put me in charge, and tip my hat to him. He mm. he gave me the responsibility of like coordinating this event, and I had help from. Somebody who volunteered named Susan Duprey, she helped Steve Jobs launch the original iPhone. like she was mm. incredibly helpful to me, but I put an immense amount of pressure on myself because you know you had a, over a hundred people flying in from all over the world who'd paid ten grand a pop to come mm. to this event, and so I felt an immense amount of pressure to like just execute on the highest possible level yeah. and so I secretly ordered modafinil, which is given to people with narcolepsy, it was originally mm. invented for military fighter pilots to stay awake on multi day missions mm. and I took that like four days in a row during the event because I just did not want anything to slip through the cracks and it worked it was crazy <laughs> over ninety six hours I got six hours of sleep, and people oh, wow. could not tell and I was hearing the phrase repeatedly, where can I get a Charlie? I need to get a Charlie, like very objectified for my performance and workaholism. So, it's like that movie Limitless. Sir. <laughs> it truly is. Like, And I think that drug in the movie is based on modafinil. Mm. And so at the same time, I was getting this positive feedback loop socially, but physically, I could feel myself starting to totally come undone. Mm. And... I think, you know, leading up to that, like things were starting to get a little wonky internally, but Hmm. that really kind of tipped me over the edge. And then I had a few other things externally, you know, a close friend of mine attempted suicide, family member died. And then the next book that we were working on, the deadline got pushed back six months. And that all happened within 48 hours. And I hit a point where I was just like, "I I need a break you know, I I need to stop what I'm doing and just kind of recalibrate. Mm. And I, I knew it was going to be more than like a little vacation. I just needed to like hit pause on everything. And so I asked him or I told him, like, I got to stop. And he was really gracious about it. But when I stopped, things didn't get better. They got worse. And so it was mm. a year and a half to two years of kind of flailing internally.
0: Yeah. I recall reading that you had guilt associated when you weren't working and you weren't being productive in your view. And that affected things like sleep and and just relaxing and that sort of thing. Uh, but eventually, you, you sort of had this epiphany that kind of changed everything. You wrote a blog post about it. It went viral. Uh, I, I know it didn't tell the whole story, uh, but what was it exactly that helped you kind of begin to, to turn the corner that then would later lead to the Play It Away book?
1: Yeah. In a simple word, it was play. I tried everything to kind of get myself out of this internal hell. Mm. Uh, And anxiety back then was not being talked about the way it is now. Mental Mm. health has come a long way in terms of destigmatizing the topic. Mm. No one talked about it back then. And so I had tried everything to get out. Nothing had really helped, including like what are now being touted as like, these are the cutting edge mental health treatments, plant medicine, that sort of thing. Mm. I tried everything and I hit a point where I was like, I've exhausted my options. Like nothing's working. Mm. And I wasn't like suicidal, but I was ready for life to be over, you know? And wow. so I just happened to come across a book called Play by Dr. Stuart Brown. And he is a play researcher who discovered that, well, I'll, I'll spare the story, but basically there were a few quotes in there that kind of opened my eyes. He said, the opposite of play isn't work, it's depression. And then he also said, a lack of place should be treated like malnutrition. It's a health risk to your body and mind. Mm. And just in the book, it, it reminded me of who I was, you know, it's it, like... To play is very human. It's the language of kids. And, and there's so many great quotes about play. Like a man doesn't stop playing because he grows old. He grows old because he quits playing and all these things. And so I was like, okay, this is this is maybe the one thing that I haven't tried. And you know, I've I'd done all sorts of exercise routines, but I haven't tried play. And so the next day, I had a guy email me and said, do you want to meet up for coffee? And instead of doing that, I proposed that we go play catch at a park. Mm. And we did that. And I came back from that meeting feeling like a weight had dropped, like Mm. a slight one, but it was noticeable. And I came back to doing work with a sense of ease and lightness and Mm. um, a lack of fuzziness in my head. And so, and this is a a tip that any of your listeners can do is to sit and write down what is your play history? What were Mm -hmm. the things that you did when you were a kid repeatedly, voluntarily, that no one forced you to do? No one graded you? No one paid you? You just did it because that was you being you. So when I looked at my play history, it was stuff like baseball, home run derby. It was pranks. It was... (laughs) Uh, doing, you know, just making little sketches and jokes. And so I signed up for improv comedy classes. It really was like this systematic incorporation of play into my life. And I thought if I do this for a few hours a week, maybe it'll have an impact. So I just doubled down on it. I signed up for sports and I found myself suddenly being playful in what was previously mechanical and robotic interactions like if i was buying something at whole foods i, I rem- i'll never forget i went to hand the cashier my credit card and when she went to grab it i just pulled it away And it was like such a small, simple thing. It was like, you know, such a split second interaction, but she looked up and she, she knew it was a joke. And so it was like, I was like, man, this is like the thing. This is the ingredient that had been extracted and and moved out. It's like, we get so hung up on maximizing our time and like Mm. optimizing and, and it's, it just sucks out the joy. Yeah. And so it became less about how am I spending my time and more about how am I like kind of playfully passing through time Mm. and being, and truly like within basically a month, all my symptoms of anxiety had just like dissolved away. And I've talked with doctors about why is that, you know? And there's this proverb that says, uh, the mind heals with laughter, body heals with play, spirit heals with joy. Mm. And a doctor told me that in the same way that meditation can kind of, tr- you know, diminish anxiety because your body is giving it a feedback loop that you're safe, you're just sitting still and breathing, it's all good. Play works in a similar way, where your body is experiencing safety and relaxation and joy. And all of a sudden, your thoughts, your fearful, anxious thoughts dissipate away. And so it's, it's a good thing to check in with yourself and say, do I spend most of my time in front of a computer sitting still consuming mm-hmm. the news? Am I you know, decompressing with alcohol? And am I getting revved up multiple times with stimulants? And like, where is the play? And if you don't have play, it's very easy to develop social... And emotional handicaps, and that's what they found when they've done research on mammals, and you know, from rats to chimps, and play is not a childish, frivolous thing. It's not. It's essential. It's like sleep. It's like breathing. It is who we are, and it is the reason that our world is as great as it is. All the things that you love, all the people that you love, are times where you get to have fun, be playful.
0: You just. uh convicted me that I need to be more like my wife in the sense that she accepts far more invitations than I do from the five-year-old and three-year-old next door uh, to come out and have some fun. I think I need to maybe let loose a little more often.
1: And that's probably why she's your wife. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. She helps bring that that side of me out when when naturally I would be sitting here where I'm sitting right now most of the day, for sure. Right. And and just a quick point on this, Jeff,
1: I don't want to go too far down this path, but play, if you're married or in a relationship, play is essential. Mm. Play for men, it signals to women that they are safe. Mm. And for women, that is a very high priority. And for women, playfulness signals to men that it signals vitality, Mm. liveliness, to both genders, playfulness is the number one most attractive trait. And they have found that it is an essential characteristic of any joy-filled marriage. And laughter is the number one indicator that a couple will stay together. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't have play in your life, even when you're fighting, life becomes a grind and relationships are hard. But relationships Mm -hmm. that are playful, you can get through a lot.
0: And we just celebrated... Twenty years uh, last year, and something you just mentioned, sort of the arc of our relationship these last twenty one years, since we've known each other, we knew each other for about a year when we got married, is those arguments in the early years were really knockout, drag out arguments. Now it's hard for us to have an argument without one of us looking at the other and to start laughing. And it just <laughs> <laughs> you know, it just diffuses the whole thing and we realize how silly the argument is. And so yeah, I totally, I'm totally on board with that. Beautiful. Um, I want to go back to something you haven't hit on yet, but kind of precedes this process as far as how it's laid out in the book that I read yesterday, Play It Away. And that's this idea of removing your anchors. Talk a little bit about what that means and what that looks like in practice.
1: So this is actually the first step. Like people think because Mm -hmm. the book's called Play It Away, like all you got to do is play. (laughs) But in reality, it's like we're often, if, if you imagine you're a little boat, trying to cross a lake. And the lake <laughs> represents your mental health. And mm-hmm. in order to be mentally healthy, again, you got to get to the other side. You can play all you want, but if you're continually being held in place or dragged down by decisions that you're making or the environment or the relationships around you, you're not going to get very far. If you're surrounded by a handful of toxic individuals or people with personality disorders or people who are abusive, who they fill you with anxiety every time you interact with them, every single time, like you get a call from them and your heart (laughs) rate goes up in a a bad way. That's going to make things very difficult, right? And similarly, if you're taking in a ton of stimulants, if you're smoking weed regularly, and this puts you in a physical state of anxiety, you got to stop. And so there has to be a period where you really sit down and say, what are the things that are continually putting me in this state of anxiety? Are there external factors or are there decisions I'm making every day that tip me into this? Do I have a wildly inconsistent bedtime, you know, to like, that's actually, (laughs) if I was going to rewrite this book, I would have called it, um, eat, play, sleep, (laughs) because (laughs) like, those are kind of the three big ones is like, they, they have researchers have knocked out Major mental disorders just by focusing on one thing and it's sleep. Mm. And so, very anxious or depressed people tend to have inconsistent bedtimes or that are not consistent with their circadian rhythm. And so, this is another like simple actionable tip. If nothing else, if you take melatonin before the sun starts to set, maybe around 7 p.m., most people make the mistake of like, I'm going to take it at 9, 10 p.m. No. Start taking it when the sun is beginning to set, because that's the circadian rhythm. Mm. Then you'll actually start falling asleep.
0: You mentioned changing the title if you were to write it today. It's been seven years, I think, since Play it Away uh, came out. That was followed, I believe, by Play for a Living, the coffee table book. Um, has your opinion changed about anything you wrote about back then? Uh, anything that you would rewrite or, or say a different way? Hmm. That's a great question and I
1: know the answer's yes just the the ways I would change are not like instantly top of mind for me but there have been numerous times where I have thought oh this is something I would have liked to have added to the book mm-hmm. I will say to the principle of play I wouldn't change it I believe in yeah. it more than ever mm-hmm. I re- I really do feel that it's this ingredient that when it's not infused with life things become joyless a lot of mental health and emotional health issues crop up so I'm I'm good on play <laughs> uh, th- there are things that I would probably overemphasize oh, like like the sleep I mm. you know I've come across enough research now on sleep that I didn't know about then that I'm like that's way more important <laughs> than <laughs> than I probably gave credit to in the uh, book but yeah, overall, I'm very happy with it. I think there's a lot of stuff with nutrition, especially in the United States that I think I would have reemphasized as well. So if you do certain tests, such as like a hair analysis test, and I know some people are not into them, but I have found they're dead on in describing what you're missing and how it's manifesting in your body. And so if you're nutrient deficient in certain things, if your ratios are off in your minerals, it can absolutely affect your mental health. So yeah, that that would have been something that I noticed a tangible difference too. I kind of hold paradoxical views when it comes to things like anti-anxiety meds, antidepressants, pharmaceuticals. I simultaneously believe that That should not be the case long-term for humanity. I don't think it's appropriate to numb people to reality and and numb their consciousness to reality because reality is intense. I think we should be elevating our consciousness and then changing reality to adjust to our collective elevated consciousness, if that makes sense.
0: Mm.
1: But at the same time, where we are right now, I think they're essential. And we absolutely need them. they're buoys that can keep us afloat, but I also think it's like well going back to the anchors point you know if you're if you're not cutting loose those anchors you're not going to swim they're going to keep you afloat, but you're not going to swim so I've been through different types of therapy modalities that I'm a big believer in, but I still think. Having play in one's life and and hearing from so many readers at this point and how it changed their life, I believe in that more than ever. I've heard Mm. from people who've multiple people who are like, I was on high dose anti anxiety meds for decades and was able to get off Mm. by incorporating playfulness or play. So then I've heard from multiple people at my company who I didn't know before I joined the company who used play after reading the book or after reading a post and having it help them uh, in their anxiety. It's not a cure-all, I don't think. I don't believe that, but it is as close to a silver bullet in living a better life as I've found.
0: Mm. Well, uh, lucky for us, uh, Charlie has put together top articles on The Power of Play on his website. I was checking that out earlier today, start. Uh, there's play at work, the play cure, playful parenting, play away stress, play to sell, uh, and on and on. I highly recommend you check those out. We'll put a link uh, in the show notes. I know you're a book fan. I'd love to know uh, what some of your favorite books have been over the course of your career. Any that stick out? Any titles that come to mind when I ask that question?
1: Yes, I love it. <laughs> I, I wish I could show you my bookshelf. Like the one behind me is is a tiny, tiny. Fraction, but there have been so many books. I mean, it depends on the topic, but I'll share one that was very influential for me this past year. It's called The Game of Life and How to Play It by Florence Shin, I believe. And it was written in the 30s by a woman who man, she I was so impressed with this book. Now I'll I'll preface it by saying this for the hyper rational scientific engineering type mind who's like, I need to see data, whatever you'll be disappointed by this book. It's a (laughs) lot of anecdotes. right? Mm -hmm. But what I have been very focused on is the power of self-talk and the way you use words to communicate both with yourself and the universe, God, however you want to say it, and the power of that. I have seen it with so many people who've just created incredible lives for themselves and are so happy and that I've really started to focus on it. And when you have kids, you really notice like, wow, the way I talk to myself is how they talk to themselves. And so (laughs) an example I'll give is my daughter when she was a little bit younger, she's four now. I remember her asking, dad, do I wear a pull-up, a diaper at night? so I don't have an accident. And she said it kind of sad. Mm. And I was like, no, you don't wear it so you don't have an accident. You wear it so you stay dry. And it's just a little slight tweak, but it just Mm. immediately like she's like, oh, okay, you know, it it didn't become (laughs) about her. And I was like, the word accident is Mm. just in her head, like a mistake and it's something she did wrong. Mm. And it, it was like that interaction that I was like, I need to rethink How I talk to myself and in the word choices you use. Mm. Another example is like, you don't close a sale, you open the opportunity to work together. Mm. You don't Mm. chase your dreams because that implies they're running away from you. (laughs) You realize them because, you know, it's like, these little things that we all just don't even think about. So that book, I was really impressed with on here is how specifically to talk to yourself and to ask the wider universe for what you're trying to do. It's top of mind because I'm looking at it is a book called Deep Nutrition by Dr. Kate Shanahan. Uh, She was actually Kobe Bryant's nutritionist. Mm -hmm. Um, I ended up meeting her. She lives in Colorado. She's in my opinion, the best nutrition book, and I would recommend it to anybody who's considering having kids because Mm -hmm. the thesis of the book is the nutrition choices we make each day ripple out into future generations. And the foods that we've eaten historically can actually dictate how your grand your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids look mm. form follows function so if you see a symmetrical beautiful face her argument is that is the result of the great grandparents and the grandparents making the proper nutritional choices mm. and so when we read articles like what does this supermodel eat it doesn't matter <laughs> it, it's what her great grandparents and her grandparents and her parents were eating resulted in what she or he looks like right now. And so I was tremendously influenced
0: by that book. And I think it's it's fantastic. I have a book for you I want to recommend. I'm going to yeah. guess I'm going to go out on a limb. You have not read this. It's not out yet. It comes out in a week, but it's called uh, The Confident Mind by Dr. Nate Zinser, A Battle-Tested Guide to unshakable Performance. 300 pages. I'm 200 pages in. I interviewed him yesterday. I've already got 35 pages of notes. Wow. It's one of the best books I've ever read on the stories we tell ourselves, the word choices, as you were referring to earlier. So I think it's a book you would really, really like. He's, he's been at West Point for decades uh, and helps cadets there work through the mindset issues. I think it would really be up here. Up your alley. So the confident mind, I, I encourage you to check that out.
1: Love it. Yeah, I'm gonna buy that. And I'll say if you like the topic of play, you mm. gotta read Free to Learn by Dr. Peter Gray. He's mm. a good one to he, I, I'd be happy to connect you with him. He's he's oh yeah, fascinating to talk to. He's a play researcher at I think Boston University. I could be wrong, mm. but he did a phenomenal TED talk that started to change the world. And I think it's called. The rise of like mental disorders and the fall, the decline of play, something Mm. to that effect. It's been seen like a half million times, but he makes the argument that like the world that we've set up for kids is way too play deprived and you can see it everywhere. And kids who get an abundance of play growing up grow up to be, you know, resilient, self reliant. They tend Mm. to have really great friendships. They tend to not struggle with things like anxiety and whatever. And we've set up a world where it makes it very difficult for kids to freely play. And also a world where it's difficult for parents to have the peace of mind to let their kids play. And so Free to Learn was really impactful when I read it for the first time. It's really good. And his, uh, the, I say his TED talk started to change the world because teachers saw it and they recognized he was right. Mm. And so they created a thing called Global Play Day, where thousands of schools around the world committed to a day where they could just let the kids play, to not interfere, to not tell them what to do. Mm. And I think that is a fantastic start to what needs to happen, which is education, I believe, fully needs to swing into play, lean into it as much as possible, because that's how kids learn.
0: Well, I've loved this conversation. Our time is short. We're running out of time. I encourage you to check out Play It Away, which we spent much of our time talking about today, but also any one of Charlie's other books, Play for a Living, A Recession-Proof Graduate is another one, The 10-Day Anxiety Fix, Stress Hacks. Charlie, uh, it's been a real treat. Thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing. uh, what you've learned about play. It's been really fun. Yeah, this
1: has been awesome, Jeff. Thank you.
0: Lots to share in the show notes for this episode, readtoleadpodcast.com slash 406 for episode 406. I'll include those resources on Charlie's website, links to his books, and of course, the books he recommended and more. One more time, that's readtoleadpodcast.com slash 406. As I mentioned at the top of the show, I hope you'll consider reaching out to me if I can help you and your team with your personal and professional development goals. The easiest way to reach me, Jeff, at ReadToLeadPodcast. We can do in-person training, online training, whatever makes the most sense for you. Again, it's Jeff at ReadToLeadPodcast.com. Well, next week, we feature a book and author that I posted about recently on social media calling the book one of the best books I've read in a long time. That book is called The Confident Mind, A Battle-Tested Guide to Unshakable Performance. Its author is Dr. Nate Zinser, and my conversation with him coming to you next week in Episode 407 of the Read to Lead podcast. That does it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, remember, leaders read and readers lead.